Morning, Church. Morning. I'm so glad to have our children, our youths, our twins, everyone under the same house and service. Uh, a shout out to the youths. They gave me a token. They gave me a token yesterday uh, after their, their, their day of, um, of enjoying the game called Game of Life. Uh, they told me they enjoyed it. Uh, and part of their enjoyment, they passed me this. And told me if I wear it, they will come for service. <laughs> don't dare me, uh, don't dare me. <laughs> Praise the Lord, there is joy in the house. Amen. Amen, amen. Right now, we're going to, ha- we're going to enjoy okay, uh, our children once again uh, that is going to lead us uh, the, in the scripture reading for this morning. And so this morning's passage is taken from Mark chapter 2, verses 1 to 12. Children, are you ready? Yes. Yes. Okay, here you go. A few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home. They gathered in large numbers that there were no room left, not even outside the door. And he preached the word to them. Some men came, bringing to him a paralyzed man carried by four of them. Since they could not get to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus by digging through it and then lowered the mat the man was laying on. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now some teachers of the law were sitting there, thinking to themselves, Why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Immediately, Jesus knew in his spirit that this was what they were thinking in their hearts. And he said to them, Why are you thinking these things? Which is easier to say to this paralyzed man, Your sins are forgiven, or to say, Get up, take your mat, and walk. But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the man, I tell you, get up and take your mat and go home. He got up, took his mat, and walked out in full view of them all. This amazed everyone, and they praised God, saying, We have never seen anything like this. And so this is the word of the Lord together. Thanks Thanks be to God. Let us encourage our children, Jerry. Thank you. Thank you for leading us in scripture reading for this morning. This is a familiar passage of the gospel where news spread like wildfire in the small village about a remarkable teacher named Jesus. People find why were, were eagerly flogging to him to hear his teaching and to witness his miracles. And among the crowd, we read from the passage there were four friends carrying a paralyzed man on a mat. Now determined to bring him for healing, they straight away encountered the problem. It was packed with people. The house was packed and there was no way to get through. But undeterred by the obstacles, the friends refused to give up. They climbed onto a roof 
They made a hole and lowered the paralyzed man down to Jesus. And there, the miracle happened. Jesus, demonstrating his authority and compassion, went further as he commanded the paralyzed man to rise and walk. And in an instant, the man's life was transformed and he became a living testament to the power of faith and the compassion of Jesus. This is the story that we are going to look at today to explore how together everyone achieved much more. Much more than just a successful story of teamwork. This is a story of how together everyone achieved mandate. The mandate of making disciples and encountering the power of forgiveness and love in the ministry of the gospel. Now, our passage today speaks of a remarkable encounter between Jesus, four friends, and a paralyzed man. Demonstrating to us that faith has the potential to bridge gap between generations and bring about restoration. Now, this weekend being intergenerational service, I titled my sermon team, Intergenerating Faith. There's no such English word as I was reminded by an English teacher. But I wanted to illustrate the fact that the community of four friends whom represents a different generation faithfully carried the paralyzed man to Jesus and experienced life-changing transformation. Demonstrating faith has the potential to bridge gap between generations. Allow me to share two observations. One, the desperate faith of a community. And we sung in part just now, No Plant Made, uh, out of our first song today, a new song, Invitational. And the posture of which we come before God. Now the friends of the paralyzed man refuse to be discouraged by the obstacles set before them. And I believe the obstacles isn't just the obstructions of the people in the house. It might have been the response of the crowd that might look at them differently or the teachers of the law that they might offend. But instead, they took desperate actions, digging through a roof to bring their friend to Jesus. Their desperation opened the door to unimaginable miracles. Usually, it is in adversity that elicit desperation. And I think we can identify with that. But, but, desperation also has the potential to pull out the good stuff. The truth of the matter is this, that often it is in moments of adversities, challenges of life, that desperation gives rise to an extraordinary depth of faith. It is our desperate moments that we often find ourselves crying out to God with profound sincerity and vulnerability that we might not experience when days are good or in times of ease. Our desperate faith has the power to pull out the good stuff within us, strength that we might not know, resilience and trust. Trust in the power and love 
of our Savior. Trust, I believe, that leads to greater surrendering. To greater surrendering. Now, in the desperate faith of the friends who carried the paralyzed man to Jesus, we witnessed not just determination, but the surrender as well. The surrender that allowed God to work in incredible ways. Surrendering their own plans and expectations, they made space for God to manifest His power and to bring about a miraculous healing. Surrendering within desperation gives God our entire space within our hearts and our minds to work from the inside out. And that, my friends, can begin when we enter this hall, when we worship before the Lord, our posture as we come before Him, even in singing of our worship songs. When we are faced with desperate situations, it can be tempting, isn't it? It can be tempting to cling on to our own understanding, perhaps our own experience, our own strength, and try to solve, solve challenges, solve problems on our own. But surrendering during and within our desperation is an act of humility. Acknowledging our need for God's intervention and opening the door for His mighty works. Now, in the surrender, I believe we are offering God our complete trust. We are relinquishing control. We are giving God the freedom to move and work in ways that surpass our limited human understanding. And that's why we pray that may the Holy Spirit move and have your way. Move and have your way. We want to give God the entire space within our hearts and our minds to work. And of course, within our Christian understanding, surrendering is not a sign of weakness, but of strength. Amen? Amen. Surrendering is a sign of strength. It demonstrates to us our oneness in trusting God, who is able to do immeasurably more than all we can ask or imagine. Leads me to my second point. There was oneness in that act in submitting to the authority of Christ, the authority that Christ had to forgive sin and to heal a broken body. When we submit to Christ's authority and recognize His Lordship over our lives, we experience a deep unity in our faith together. That faith, that the deep unity that comes from the understanding that we are all sinners. Deep unity from the understanding that we are all sinners and we are saved by grace to do the work of God. In Ephesians chapter 4, Apostle Paul reminded the church that there is one body, one spirit, one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all. This oneness in acknowledging Christ's authority unifies us as believers who have been redeemed together as God's people, transcending our differences and binding us together in a common thread of faith. Now that is what it truly means to be one in a bond of Christ. Let's turn to one another 
and say we are one in Christ. Shall we? Let's turn to one another and say we are one in Christ. Especially with our children, with our youth as well. We are one in Christ. Amen. Amen. We are one in Christ. Acknowledging Christ's authority requires all of us then, my friends, to obey God's Word, to hear and receive His teachings. The Bible tells us in James 4 to submit ourselves to God, to resist temptations of the world, and to choose to draw near to Him. That is the decision that we have to make daily, to draw near to God, to choose to draw near to God. And in doing so, aligning ourselves, setting the example, especially with our next generation, to choose to align ourselves so that God's plans and purposes are always lifted up over our own ways. For God's ways are higher, are higher than ours. And when we are living out God's ways in the world today, we become witnesses. We become witnesses to God's work and glory. The oneness and acknowledging the authority of Christ in the community leads all of us to become witnesses of God's work and to declare His glory. As witnesses to one, to, to one another, we become a source of strength and encouragement to each other. The author of Hebrews urges his readers not to give up meeting together, but to spur one another on towards love and good deeds. My friends, we are God's spiritual people in the world. We are. And our oneness in faith empowers us to lift up not just each other, but those around us as well who are seeking, who are lost, who are least. Encouraging, sharing, praying, remembering those who are still in the world today. Our unity in acknowledging Christ's authority allows us, compels us, backs us to be witnesses to God's ongoing work in and through our lives. That is what it means when our collective testimonies of God's grace, love and power becomes a compelling testimony to the world. One of our early church fathers, Augustine of Hippo, puts it this way about faith. Faith is to believe what we do not yet see. And the reward of this faith is to see what we believe. Faith is to believe what we do not see. But the reward of this faith is to see, to witness what we, what one another believe in. To see and witness lives turning back to Him. To see and witness God's healing in hearts and body. Our oneness in faith becomes a powerful evangelistic tool drawing others to encounter the, transformation, uh, the transformative power of Christ as disciples to make disciples. Now, is this the reward that we are pursuing together in life and in faith? 
Or are we individuals that are easily stumbled by priorities other than faith with our next generation or with our pre-believing loved ones? Intergenerating faith and oneness in the Lord. Today, as we come before the Lord's table, as we do so in our intergenerational service, we remember that it is the Lord who invites all who love Him who share in His body and blood in faith, so that in oneness, we declare that we are in His body, saved by Christ's sacrifice. And that is what pleases our Lord Jesus Christ as well, as reflected in His prayer in the Gospel of John, chapter 17, where Jesus prayed that all of us may be one, Father, just as You are in us and I am in You. You. And so how do we achieve together the success of our mandate to make disciples within our families and church life? Allow me to close with these four applications starting with team in which, was, which is in my title for today. And let us then consider every point here together as a team. Team Jesus. Are we ready? Firstly, trust. Trust in God's power. Just like the paralyzed man's community of friends, our first application as individuals is where we are. Where we are in our trust in God's power to bring about healing and restoration in our lives. Where are we in our trust in God? Our faith and trust in God needs to be strong for us to step out of our comfort zone, to face obstacles, and to persevere in bringing others to Christ, just like how the men's community of friends did, bearing the weight of the paralyzed man and sharing, I believe, in the joy when the man received forgiveness and healing in his brokenness. Has anyone participated in this activity before? Raise up your hand. Okay, put down your hand. So right now, we're going to do an illustration. I'm going to invite some of us right now to come up here. No, I'm just kidding. Just kidding. Our PIC was raring to go, like last week. (laughs) Now, those of us who have participated in this activity, uh, you, you have been in a team-building program, you know, or an outdoor adventure camp uh, where you have experienced this activity, or have not. While well, I was working as an outdoor adventure instructor for quite a number of years before I served as a full-time worker, loved it and loved this activity. It was one of my favorite activities to do with schools or corporate alike. Now, it was an activity for those of us who do not know, which requires us to stand about two meters off the ground, falling backwards into your teammates and trusting them to catch you as you cannot see what you are falling into. So please do not try this at home, not without adult supervision or professional help. Thank you very much. Now, team building goes aside. It is a ridiculous Request to trust anyone to catch you, especially when you cannot see. 
but what a breakthrough it meant for the person and for the group as a whole to accomplish as they learn how to trust, to trust in the people behind them and also in one another as they endeavor to catch the person that is falling. Likewise, we must fully embrace the authority of Jesus over our lives and trust in His power all together, even if it means we cannot see what might be ahead of us. Even we might not yet recognize or acknowledge God's plan before us. We have to trust, for He is our God. And through faith in Him, we can experience the fullness of God's grace and love, both as an individual and as a community together. Second, embodying faith through encouragement. Now, acknowledging Christ's authority should inspire us then to embody our faith through encouragement. First Thessalonians chapter 5, Apostle Paul encouraged us to abolish the unruly, to encourage the faint-hearted, to help the weak, and to be patient with everyone. We can be intentional in uplifting and inspiring others in their faith journey by sharing of testimonies of God's faithfulness and our personal encounter with God's love and forgiveness. Because such testimonies truly Now, our Wesley Tidings, uh, which began in 1936, for those of us who do not know, is a platform for all to be encouraged by faith stories and testimonies through church life. Now, this is being done uh, through the hard work of our comms team in collecting testimonies from individuals and families that highlight the faith journeys of various age groups in various of our church life. I want to encourage us to read the articles from our tidings together, perhaps in your family or in your faith community. Better still, appoint the youngest person in the group to read. And be blessed, just be blessed with faith-inspiring articles. Third, active witnessing. Now, when we truly acknowledge Christ's authority over our lives, we cannot help but to share the good news of His transformative power. As the psalmist declares in Psalm 66, Come and hear all you fear God. Let me tell you what He has done for me. Now, I remember in my youth years, when I joined Campus Crusade, one of the first things thing that my mentor asked me to do was to take out a pen and a paper and start to write my faith story. It might be a thanksgiving, it might be a challenge, it might be a struggle, but it's a story that should reflect how God loves me. Something that I would be able to share with another anytime. Now, while we do not need pen and paper already, you know, we have our mobile phones, we have so many tools to help us to keep stories, our faith stories on hand. 
And when opportunities present themselves, especially with our next gen, especially with our children, we can share with them. We can intentionally be looking for opportunities to share of God's faithfulness. Now, it can be just a conversation being turned Godward into thanksgiving or our personal experience on the divine. But it beckons us, it compels us, my friends, to be attentive to the prompting of the Holy Spirit and to boldly share when that time and space comes up, comes up in our journey to share, to take steps, to be active witnesses, both in words and action, so that others may come to know Jesus and experience His life-changing love. Lastly, to maintain a teachable spirit. And I believe this is crucial as we work towards being a truly intergenerational church. Because it does require us to maintain a teachable spirit. For we are trying to cultivate an environment of learning across generations and between generations. If we are to work towards a, a, a truly intergenerational community, it's crucial for us to cultivate an environment where wisdom and knowledge are shared between the young and the old, between the mature and the newcomer. How wonderful is it as a church if we were to reflect God's commandment to love one another when we create or capture opportunities for intentional interaction. No matter how it might seem to be, no matter. And for me, I truly appreciate when the youth yesterday came forward to tell me about how they have enjoyed their day in that game of life. And even after that, became something more, to me, something more meaningful. We have to be a community that captures every opportunity. Every opportunity. Now, this means recognizing that learning is not limited to a specific age group, but can happen across generations. But it does compel us, especially us adults, to humbly learn from the unique insights and perhaps fresh perspectives of this generation with our younger members. While youths can benefit, for sure, the wisdom and guidance of more experienced adults. Fostering an environment of mutual learning and growth. As a personal story um, of uh, my youngest son asking me this question, why do I not play the guitar or worship at home? Now he was coming up to ask me this question after a meeting that I had on Zoom at home. And the reason he asked that is because he has seen me leading worship through Zoom on occasions where we had prayer service or ministry meeting. Now my initial thought involved telling him that I don't want to disturb the neighbours all the way to I don't want to disturb my wife. But there and then, that instance, was I open to receive learning from a younger person? 
I came across this quote that truly encapsulates for me the inclusiveness of a truly intergenerational church. In Christ, there is no room for exclusion or discrimination in the context of a thoroughly Christian understanding of love. Indeed, the love of God is unconditional. The Bible tells us that God loved us while we were yet sinners. It highlights the inclusive nature of God's love, which welcomes and embraces people of all ages, backgrounds and experience. In an intergenerational church, my friends, we are fostering an environment where everyone is valued. Everyone is included. And so this is the call, my friends. Jesus has entrusted us with a mandate that transcends generation. A mandate to make disciples, proclaim the gospel, and to demonstrate His love to the world. It requires us to commit wholeheartedly to present our oneness as Jesus desires His church to be when He prayed for His disciples. And as we strive together to achieve this mandate, starting, I pray, with this service, this intergenerational services. May we find strength in being united. Knowing that we are not alone in this journey together. And may God's grace be with us as we continue, I pray, to embark in this intergenerating faith together. Together as Team Jesus. Fulfilling the mandate Jesus has given us. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you today with hearts filled with gratitude for the community that we are in. For the faith stories told and transformation happening. Thank you, Lord, for your word this morning. We thank you, Lord, for what you have done for us that binds us together in your body and in your sacrifice. And even as we come before your table this morning, oh Lord, I ask that your spirit will continue to work in us and through us, helping us to embody the principles of what it means to be an intergenerational church. A church that embraces a teachable spirit across generations where adults and youths alike can learn and be valued. Oh Lord, break down any walls of division and help us to see, Lord, worth and wisdom in every single one of us, regardless of our age or background. May your presence, O oh Lord, go with us as you continue to shape us to reflect of your love and your grace. This we pray as we continue, Lord, to keep our eyes on you. In Jesus' name, Amen.